Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Kristen, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Awesome. Well, I'm so stoked to be here, man. I'm looking forward to it. Most certainly. Well, every entrepreneur has an interesting story of how they overcame obstacles to become an entrepreneur. So I'm, I'm curious to learn a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and your story. Wonderful. Well, I started an entrepreneur when I was like a teenager. So I kind of started my first business when I was younger. Um, and then I kind of just moved along in different types of businesses along the way. But I think you know, there's there's so many different obstacles when you start a different business, but there's obstacles in life in general, right? So it's like, for me, I just love that I get to own the obstacle, learn from them, grow from it. Um, I think a lot of my obstacles for myself personally, and what I've had to kind of come to overcome is this idea, I'm a, I'm a massive visionary. So I really see the future and sometimes I could live in that future. And so I think for myself, as the obstacles have come from, really having the big vision, having the solid intention for the goals and the dreams and the things that I have, um, but then not necessarily building the stability needed to continue to build that and get to those points. And so I've learned over the years of really looking at when I, you know, starting a business or growing them, expanding them, it's like, how do we get to stability first and then build upon that? And so I've learned that, you know, the hard way, I've learned that in the good ways from businesses that have done well because of that. Um, and so I've, I've been learning that journey along my entrepreneurial journey myself. What is one of the biggest lessons you learned? Obviously, you've kind of mentioned like getting that stability and then building on it. What are some other big lessons you learned in the process of building your companies? Huge lessons is the people that you're in business with, right? Mm. Like I think I've made some mistakes there. Um, and I think it's about really working alongside of people that you are fully aligned with. A lot of times people chase opportunities and the opportunity to make money or the business is going to be successful. But then, and you miss out that, like, you know, it's, it's okay to have, if you have a successful business, but the people that you're successful with, you don't feel like you're aligned with, it's miserable. And so I think that's something that's super important, all the way from your partners to the, even your team members, employees, you could, they can be the most talented people. But if you don't get along and your visions don't align, you're going to cause a lot of friction in your life and in your business. And it's not worth it. I honestly believe that the, if you get that instinct or that gut thing or that, you know, feeling about a person to follow that, to, to keep cultivating that strength of your intuition to make sure that you're partnering with the right people for the right reasons. Um, and that's for business partners. That is for your uh, employees or your joint venture partners, all of it. I think it's really important. So that's a big lesson I've learned from not doing that in some cases, right? Like really believing, holding on to because they're talented or they're this. And it's not necessarily always on them. It's sometimes me. I'm, I might not be a good fit for another person, their skill set, how I lead, how I talk, how I show up in the world might not be a fit for other people. So this isn't about me saying, you know, I'm better than that person or they're better than me. It's just understanding that sometimes matches aren't made to work. And so just really be cultivate that. Yeah, most certainly. So then, I mean, obviously you have to do a better job in hiring to make sure that you are matching up with people that you will mesh well with. But uh, I mean, what what's kind of your patience level to say, hey, this person is going to grow into the role that I hired them to to fit into, or they're just becoming a, a roadblock uh, for us to achieve the goal that we have as a company? 
Yeah, totally. So for me, it's not as much as the necessarily role. I love the idea of people to grow into the role and learn. We hire people across the board that don't even necessarily have the same skill, the skill set, but we know that they, because of who they are, they can get that skill set for that specific task or role and grow. It's more about hiring the right person first for like where, regardless of what role they're in, and then that letting them find. And sometimes you need to pivot, right? They need to change into a different role to match if they're the right hire. So I think when I'm more talking about the right person, it's going to be a lot about the personalities and how you work together. Because then all of a sudden you could just you could figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. You could figure out the tasks. And a lot of times in startup business, you don't have the ability to have five people to do a task. You have one or two people that have to split up five, six, ten tasks. So you have to make sure that it's more the personality. That you're okay to like, you know, you want to go and have coffee with them or have a drink or you're okay to invite them to your family or your friend. Like that that kind of emotions I think is missed a lot of times in business. And I think it's super needed. Like I want to, you know, my business partner, I want to feel like they're my big, you know, my best friend, right? Or they're up there in that ability to work with them on a long level or go on a trip, right? We travel a lot for our work. And so, you know, can I travel with everyone that's my team members or employees or partners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that they complement your strengths, right? Like you know, where you are weak, they have the strengths, uh, so that totally. you can you can essentially rely on them on things that you're not best at. Yeah, and I can trust them on that. I can lean onto them for those things. Totally, most certainly. So, what's your personal why? Obviously, you know, you've been as an entrepreneur, like you said, from your early teenage days. Uh, so, what's your why? What keeps you drive and and keeps you going? You know what? I love that. I love the question. It talked a lot. You know, Simon Sinek wrote the book about know your why. Mm -hmm. Um, I I kind of frame it a little bit differently um, to answer the question because I really talk about is like what what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Right. Mm -hmm. There's like there's what you're wanting to accomplish. There's how you're going to accomplish that. And then there's the why behind why you want to accomplish it. I think for a lot of people, it's hard for them to dive into their why. And then when they get there, sometimes it's really emotional and hard to share. And so mm-hmm. I would like to, I'll, I'll kind of sh- change the question a little bit, if you don't mind, and just say, what is it that I want to accomplish? I am here and I want to inspire others to see their worth so that they can go on and live a fulfilled life. That is what I want to do. You know, how I do that is in multiple different areas. Um, and that's the first question I have to answer. The why behind that, I think for me, you know, I'm open enough to share it, but for other people, their whys are deeply emotional and so is mine. Um, my why is I, I grew up with a phenomenal mother. Um, mm-hmm. she, um, lived her life to just breathing life into other people, contributing to their lives, you know, told her, me and my siblings that we can go out and accomplish anything. Um, and she did that to other people. She was a safe place. Um, and she unfortunately passed away at 61 years old when I was in my mid twenties. Um, and it was a really tough time and hard us, uh, for us as a family and for people around us. But when I was at her funeral or celebration of life, as they like to call them now, um, we did an open mic. And we had all these people jumping up on the stage and sharing this deep gratitude for how, how my mom showed up for them in their life, how they, she was able to sit with them, how they made they she made them feel like they're the only person in the world when they're talking. And she just impacted people so deeply. Hmm. And what what kind of clicked to me that day and continued to is that I don't know. I don't know. If she totally understood her worth how valuable she was to other people around her. I don't, I don't think she was depressed or thought she didn't have value, right? I don't think that was to that extent. But I also know that I don't think she got the grand, the, you know, how massive it really was. And so for me, I got a tattoo on my arm now. It says, you mean more than you know. And it's in her writing because it's about, I, don't, I knew, I knew she, didn't, she meant more than she knew. I know most of us actually probably mean more than we know. And so that was a deep why of why I want to inspire people to see their worth. Cause I looked at my mother and I saw that she didn't. And I'm like, I don't, I want more people to feel 
what she could have heard on that day on her celebration of life while she was living. Um, and so that and also, you know, dealing with, you know, the topics of mental illness and things like that. My, my best friend growing up had depression, which only five people knew about. Um, and he ended up committing suicide very shortly after my mom passed away, actually, too. Um, and again, that was for a different reason of worth, right? And why? I don't think he felt the worth in himself, right? I think the depression and the things and this topics really blocked him from seeing that. And so that, that need for me to look at that space, too, and help people recognize and pull themselves out of that deep depression and find worth for themselves is powerful. So that's my what, but my why, like you asked, is very deeply motivated in all the companies and all the stuff that I do is how do I help our employees, the people we're benefiting, see their worth and their value and how they make impact with it. Yeah. And in your bio, I know you've kind of mentioned moving away from the whole concept of pursuit of success yes. to focusing on the fulfillment instead. Right. Um, because you think of that, I, I and the reason why that was so deep, even that same back to the story of my mom, it's like, what if someone asked her, are you successful? You know, she probably would have said, no, I don't, I'm not successful. I wasn't really successful financially, maybe my career, because she did really well as her career, successful in the world. I'm not famous or, you know, any of those type of things. And I think I struggled with that early on. I really felt like, um, oh, my mom wasn't successful. That's why I want to help people become successful because then they can feel their worth. But I, I flipped really thinking about my mom because I was like, yeah, maybe she wouldn't say she was successful from outside viewpoint, but she was fulfilled. My mom really was. She loved her kids. She loved her work. She loved the service that she did. She loved working at the, you know, the camp, the, the church she worked at, uh, camps and things like that. And so she had so much fulfillment in her life. And so I'm like, what's more important? having all these outer ideas of success or her being fulfilled and that pursuit of that. And so I think mm -hmm. that was a big eye opener for me. I think a lot of people pursue success, they get there and they're miserable. So why don't you just focus on that fulfillment from the get go? And then success is a given, right? Because you're in that world, you believe in what you're doing and you're happy doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think the, some of the points that you've mentioned is extremely critical because I think as we as individuals and business leaders and managers and you know whatever capacity we have in our organizations, really seeing the people that we lead and manage as people with worth, yes. right? And treating them for that, right? And then also just really caring about their, you know, their value that they bring to the to the table. Like you said, a lot of people live with so many emotional baggages and so many feelings of, you know, regrets and loss and all sorts of things. And they don't see value in themselves and, and they feel like, well, I'm not, I don't amount to much. Why do I even waste any space in this world, right? And then taking their lives. And only the, you know, the saddest thing, like you just said, most of the time when they're living, we don't take the time to tell them how much they, how much yes. they mean to the world. Yes. Thank uh, you. It's a very important, very important point. Yeah. No. So true. How do you do that? How do you instill that belief that they have value in all the things that they do, right? The smile on the person on the train, the, the concept of like the employee that's working for you and they're, they're, they're choosing to be there for you. Like, why can't you represent that and tell you how much you value them and appreciate them, right? Like, you know, your partners, your loved ones, right? Like, get on that call and ha call the people. Share your share how much you appreciate them and what they've done. And, and even the small details, don't just assume that they know. Right. I think that's super important. And I think it drives everything inside of me on that part of it is like that value, that proposition and that worth. And it's it's how do you help that? How do you help as many people as possible? And for me, I do that through business. Right. I love mm -hmm. the opportunity to build companies that are talking about that and stealing it. My team members, you know, it's not necessarily an individual thing for me to try and go and talk to everybody and show it. It's more of a grandier thing. How do I build companies that look at people like they're humans and build value? Right. And that's kind of how I transitioned that, that what I want to do. My how is through business. 
and through opportunities. But if I lost the opportunity to be in business, I would find another how because my I'm deeply rooted in what I want to accomplish, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a really good motivator for what you're doing. So, which brings me to the question about your company name as well. So you have an interesting name for your companies, uh, Cardia. You want to expand a little bit about why you chose that as the, the name of your holding company and uh, how that plays a big part in everything that you do as well. I love it. So uh, Cardia is the Greek word for um, heart. And so it's not like the heart as in the organ, but heart as in the center of the human experience. So within all the organization and companies underneath the banner that we have, we have, you know, well over, you know, a dozen companies. Um, they, it comes with this principle that we're wanting to build a heart-centered company. How, and what does that mean? It's really looking at how do we treat our people? How do we treat the people on the outside, you know, our customers, our services, people we're working with? And how do we treat this planet? How do we heal this planet through the work that we're doing? And so I think there's a lot of growth in that. There's a lot of trial. There's a lot of working. There's a lot of mistakes that go along the way when you're building a company. But when it all comes down to it, I want it to ground to, are we trying to do our best? And are we trying to support the people around us? And are we trying to bring heart into the situation? And it's about doing good and making money at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. They have to be together, obviously, in the business world, because that's what we're talking about. And that's what I'm in. And that's what we named our company. But it's about how do we bring that heart-centered approach and and have other people do the same. Yeah, and I don't think you need to be apologetic about the concept of making money, right? Because if you're not making money, you're not profitable, then you can't survive as a business. Then you're not going to do your mission that you set out to do, which is to create, you know, create value and show people their worth and value in their own selves, right? So I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, sometimes we feel like, oh, if I'm making money or profit, I, I'm supposed to feel bad about it. Yeah. And um, you know what? I, and I, it's been a real, it's been a journey for me. I'm very much the people, uh, people first, people focused. Um, and so we were talking about our challenges earlier. And so we've gone through some challenges and ups and downs in business as everyone does. Right. And for me, I, I hang on a long time and maybe a little bit too much to trying to keep everybody there and working and happy, getting paid and all these type of things and, and, and as much as I can. But we, I came to a hard realization recently, actually, where we had to do some restructuring of our businesses. You know, we had to lay some people off. We had to cut some businesses out and let go of some people. Um, and it was like a lot, a lot of it was, most of it was heard and taken well. They're like, we get what you're doing. We get the heart centered side of it. And we understand, but those, there was some few stuff where it was just like, you, you were, you know, challenging this heart centered thing. You know, your heart, mm-hmm. you say you're heart centered, but yet we're, you're letting go people or you're restructuring or, you know, these type of things. And there was a challenge in me a little bit because it was really hard because I love people and, I, and I've given so many people chances. Right. And even in some of these incidents that have happened, people that were, you know, let go or situations. And we're like, you know, we've, we've tried to help bring that heart center approach. But to be challenged at the level, I had to really look at look deep and say to the whole fulfillment metric and building a heart centered business. If I am if I'm personally feeling stressed and burnt down, the business starts losing money and not becoming profitable. Well, guess what? That's not heart centered either. That's being foolish. And so I think a lot of it is like you sometimes still need to make hard decisions. You know, being heart centered or being fulfilled is not about rainbows and butterflies and everything's happy. It's about being the best version of yourself. It's about taking those lumps, focusing and admitting mistakes when you've made them and growing. We are humans like this is part of the human experience. But to the core of it, when it's all said and done, what is it that I want to have been said about our company or about myself is that at the end of the day, boil down the mistakes and all the hard decisions that need to happen, all those things. I believe his intention was to do good, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think, or the company's intention was to do good. 
And sometimes there's ups and downs and it doesn't look like that, but that's just the reality of life. And that's hit me really hard in the last year. I've learned a lot about that and accepting it. Because again, I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a visionary. So I love the future. I see the future and the future is bright. But sometimes I've been challenged to say, you know what, when it sucks though, and bad things happen and you have to let go people or a business fails or something that you just didn't see happening happen, like don't just like shoot it over the rug and also don't just rationalize it. Don't just say, well, this was a silver lining. I learned from it. That That's not good either. And admit that it sucked, right? Admit that you didn't enjoy that. Like feel that emotion because that's part of life and accept that it's like, you know what, that happened. I don't like it. And I don't need to look for the silver lining in it right away. I can I can sit in this discomfort for a little bit. And I think this is hard for people to hear sometimes. It's hard, it was hard for me to really accept. But going through it, I feel like I'm a stronger leader because of it. My business is stronger because of it. I think the respect that we will gain in the industry is better because of it. Um, and I think the, the bright side does come, but it's, it's going to come from a different area. And it doesn't necessarily have to be because of the crappy part either. But I think that's something that just something as me as a visionary and a lot, a lot of people listening probably relate to that. We're always trying to rationalize. Well, you know, we, if we, if you, you never lose because if you don't win, you just learned, right? So you win mm -hmm. or learn and I get it, but it's like, but go a little deeper into the emotions of things and let's become humans yeah. that have that deep emotional intelligence to what happened and feel the pain sometimes because gosh, the wins feel so much greater at the end of that when it does happen. Right. So. Yeah, I think it also comes down to like treating people with dignity and being not being very ruthless, right? Because if you explain to them the reasoning behind why you're doing what you're doing and how that's actually going to impact the business in the long term, and then also doing it with care and love and and giving them the dignity that they deserve in the process of what whatever you you know you have to do um, with that. Yeah, I love it. Um, My fiance here, incredible woman, her name's Lindsay. We get married in July, which I'm super excited about. Um, she, thank you. She she uh, said a great words to me. She said, um, be kindly direct, right? And I think that I love that because she just has that wisdom when it comes to the communications and having conversations, but kindly direct, right? It's not about being ruthless or about being like hardcore or being that business thing. You just got to do things. You could be direct and be real and not passive, but just do it in a kind way. And it doesn't mean that everyone's going to say it's kind or feel it when it's happening to them. But at the end of the day, they have to look back and be like, this was a kindly direct conversation. Yes, the facts were laid out. Yes, this situation happened. But at the end of the day, you came to, you approach it in a kind way. I think that's what we can, that's what we can strive to do, right? Most certainly. So obviously, you know, you've mentioned that you've uh, well over, you know, a dozen or so companies that you manage. So you have a whole lot of things on your plate in terms of as a leader, managing multiple companies, like you said, you're a visionary, so you're a big picture guy. See the you know see the end before it even happens. So there's a lot of that, but at the end of the day, there's still things have to get executed to make all of those dreams a reality. So talk to me a little bit about kind of the organization structure and leadership style, and what do you how how are you able to manage all these different entities? Most people they can barely get one company off the ground. You're doing all of these across multiple organizations. So what's the secret? What exactly are you doing? Um, uh, so to, for me, um, failing a ton in the early days of being way too wide and being too many things, right? We have well over a dozen companies now. At one point, I think I had up to like 18 or 20. Um, and I think there's an ebbs and flow learning for me. And so I'll go into a little bit of detail. Be Some of you will understand of it. Some of you, it's just not your mindset. So it's not that you won't understand. It's just not, doesn't relate. Um, for me, when I was always, when I was really young, I was always, you know, you're always told, and I think you're always told to just do one thing, focus on one thing, master that, and then you can move on. Um, I rejected that always. Um, mm -hmm. And because, and the reason why I was because I would always get bored. 
right? I couldn't focus on one thing. I, I was always doing something. I'm diagnosed with adult ADHD. I had ADD as a child, ADHD as a child. Um, and so I've constantly, my brain's always functioning in multiple aspects, right? I don't have a thin straight line. Um, and so it was hard for me. So I, I rebelled against that by doing many things, all sorts of businesses, types, and all that kind of stuff along the ways. And what I found is it started, things just weren't working. They weren't functioning as well. And so you would think, oh, those people were right. You know, they, you know the, the whole concept's proven you wrong, that you can do multiple things. Uh, but I disagree, because that's about iteration. It's about learning and growing from it. What I realized is I was involved in way too many things in different directions and different focuses. And so we tried to narrow things down even further for the next phase of stuff that I got involved with. Um, and But it was still too much heavy on me leading things and me leaning on my team to think the way that I think. And what I mean by that is we owned, you know, say 16, 17 companies. My, my core team was responsible helping managing those companies. And what I found over that next phase of period of time, it worked a lot better because I built a team. They were kind of all in the same types of businesses. Um, as It wasn't as sporadic as it was previously. But it still didn't function properly. And so you're going to think, okay, well, now you're really proven wrong. You can't do multiple things at multiple times. But this is the final thing that came through, which now is, is working beautifully. It's me as a leader identifying and understanding. I think that way. I need to be involved in a whole bunch of different things because it keeps me motivated, keeps me excited. My vision's way too big to really just do one business or one thing. But the people you bring on and hire and develop, not all of them are going to think that way. So do a better job. You know, there's the universe telling me, there's God telling me, do a better job, Kristen, at identifying the people that need to think the way that they think, which is a lot of people, they need to do one thing. That's the way that they function. That's the way they work. It's how they thrive in it. I don't need to understand that because it's not me, but that's about that intelligence of the leader to say, oh, so this group. So we redefine how we built our businesses um, and mm -hmm. we really have people, a group of people that are focused in one business or a set of businesses that are like really in alignment. And that's what they do day in, day out, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't have to think about all the other businesses because they're doing that. I have another handful of people that are very more similar to me and think like me, and they need to be involved and see a whole bunch of stuff. I have a handful of them in my team. And so for us, we run and operate the different companies and oversight. So now how we do from a leadership standpoint is we have all those 10 companies have at least one person that is dedicated to that business. Then they have their team that runs that organization. For me as the visionary and my partner, Carolyn Gallardo, she's one of my business partners on majority of what we do. Um, and then our kind of our core, you know, strategic council, we focus on the big vision. And all of these companies, they need to fit into the line of leading to that big vision. But they don't need to be all ran by the same group of people. And I think that was the big learning. So for me, yeah, I still actually now do multiple things. I'm in multiple meetings every day for multiple different companies. But when I'm talking with people, they're not. <laughs> they're in their realm unless they have the same kind of mindset as me. And then I have that team of people too that are more of the strategic council across the board. So we have one focus as a company. We want to heal this planet, right? That is our goal. We want to, so we're really heavy in eco developments and eco projects. And we relate that as a big vision that my business partner, Carolyn has for healing the planet. And we have a big vision for me, which is healing people, right? That whole sharing their value. And so all of our companies lead to that. We have basically three different types of companies and they all have their own functions and they all lead to this vision of creating, healing this planet through impact entrepreneurship and using um, eco technologies through tech, you know, sustainability and then real estate developments in the same spot. So 
that's a long way to answer the question, but uh, they're just that focus. You just have to have focus. You have to identify the right type of people and where they need to play so they can thrive. And then you just need to lead them, allowing them to you know grow in those roles and be excited to be part of a bigger vision. Do you follow anything like uh, you know EOS, like an entrepreneur's uh, system or anything like that to manage these entities? Um, have like a one-page strategic plan with the KPIs that you measure and have weekly check-in meetings to see how well they're progressing? Um, great question. And we don't. Um, and the reason mm -hmm. why I say that is because we have each to the same point of what I was saying as individuals function in different things, right? And so each company has could maybe ha has like a system or a process of what they're trying to get to and their KPIs or their target because it makes sense for that company. But the next company next door, it might not fit the leadership style, the people in it. It might not matter to them the same way. Like, so I think we don't have like a cross the board structure. They all have to lead to a vision though. It all has to like, this is your place in this and this is your goal. And this is what we're trying to accomplish, obviously. But it's not like, you know, this direct system for each of the different businesses. It's just mm -hmm. not how we function right now. I think as we grow and expand, there will be, you know, there's checkup meetings, there's processes we put in place, right? Like we check in with all of our team members, you know, every quarter, we do lots of reviews with them. And it's the reviews are different. It's not about just what they're doing in our role. It's like, hey, how are you feeling? How do you feel fulfilled in your life? And, and does this work? How can you become fulfilled in your personal journey? Because if you do, then I think this is the right fit. If it doesn't, is there a better fit somewhere else in our companies? Or is there a better fit outside and let us support you get that? But that's kind of the yes. only really metric we go by is personal fulfillment in each of the team members. And how do we have communicate the bigger vision for each company? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, sales is the lifeblood of any organization. And as you said, you've in, involved in so many different businesses. So you had to have seen, you know, a lot of changes happening in terms of sales and marketing. So how has your approach on sales and marketing evolved over the years in terms of building all these different companies? Love it. So um, I'm a massive component of just be genuine and attract the people that are going to fit your what you're trying to build. Be very clear on what you're doing. So as a tangible example, we have uh, we have a couple of coaching um, and educational businesses as part of our like lead generation for our bigger projects that we do. So they're separate independent companies. They're building, they're growing. Um, they, they have obviously create sales to create their goal. But it's not about selling to everybody. It's about really setting an intention in one of our business called Creative Real Estate Academy. It's like this is about helping people identify that want to become active real estate investors and learn about how to do investing with, you know, not qualifying for a mortgage and buying properties, doing creative deals. And so we set the intention very clear of the type of people we want to work with. Right. And then our sales calls and our team that we have that our sales team that work on it, they're not trying to sell them anybody a product now. They're just showcasing, this is how we do this, what we do, these are the people we wanna serve. Do you fit? And if you do, here's the different options that you have. And we're very clear and upfront. Here's your, you know, you can pay a monthly low coaching, like monthly fee, just get access to our courses and group coaching. If you wanna work with some of our actual coaches, here's the cost. It's just authentic, it's real, there's no pressure because at the end of the day, if you want it, you're gonna buy it and then you're actually gonna use it. If you don't want it or you get forced to buy it and you don't use it, that doesn't help the vision of a heart-centered business just selling something. No, it they mm -hmm. actually have to utilize the tools that we give them. So that's kind of one of those things that we, we work with inside of our business, right? So sales is super important, but do it authentically. Just share your vision in your heart. And trust me, people will come and want to buy your service from you. And then be okay to sell the service. Don't give it for free because they want it, right? And it's okay to make money, doing good and making money at the same time, right? Exactly. If, if you're exchanging value, then you have no reason not to to charge for it. 
So essentially, you know, decision making an important part of any leadership, right? In any function, and especially as someone who's running multiple organizations, that's got to be something that you have to do on an every given day. So it's just some sort of a decision making framework that you follow to make sure that you're making the best decision possible. And how do you how do you typically avoid having to you know make foolish mistakes? As a leader, honestly, I think most of us, if we're all honest with ourselves, we're learning that, right? I think decision-making is part of one of the biggest things and the make or break for a lot of things that you do. I think, mm-hmm. um, honestly, I'm getting better at it. Um, I think the decisions in which we have to make it on for now is this, first off, there's things that I'm really easy at making decisions on. Does this align with our vision, right? Like, do we know what we're trying to accomplish? If I'm trying to build a heart-centered business, well, then don't be doing things that aren't heart-centered, right? That aren't serving other people. Like, that's that's pretty easy line to draw. Um, you know, people, you know, the hiring of people, um, there's a lot of an intuition, I believe, in that. Um, but there's also a framework. We have a really good HR department uh, ran by Lady Mik- Michaela. Um, fantastic. She's, I think she's one of the best in the industry. I'd put her against anyone in the world, honestly, when it comes to hiring and identifying talent. So we have a framework to bring them. But then at the end of the day, it still needs to be that intuitive feeling. You need to look that person in the eye and be like, I feel that you get this and that we're going to be able to align with the vision. And so that part of the decision is intuitive, right? But it came with research and stuff previously, right? It wasn't just anybody um, in any process. Um, But I think with decisions, it's also make the decision and then that's your decision right now, right? Don't waver on it. If it was a wrong decision, own that and make a different decision, right? Don't hang on to decisions. People, they don't like being wrong. I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. have, have you been in an argument with someone or a fight at one point and you know that they know they're wrong, but because you pushed and you were kind of maybe rude or you said something differently, they're like fighting to the death on something they've actually know they're wrong, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because we're emotional yeah. beings, right? So I think come into decisions, make them. But if you learn new information or someone brings a good fact, be open to change. Be open to realize that you're and own your decision was wrong. Right. I, I've had to do that many times in life. I think that makes sense. Like, just be humble enough to know that you don't know all the answers. Right. And so I think decision making is big. I think you got to make a decision and you have to go with it. And then if you have to be willing to change the decision. So it's a willing to be able to do. And, and you wouldn't have to do that very often. Right. If you really practice that, you'll you'll take more time making a decision if you really are knowing you're going to go all in with it. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I've, I've seen, especially as, you know, business leaders and having to deal with interactions with prospects and talking about, you know, whatever product or services that you might offer, whatever the discussion might be. Like you said, there are very stubborn minded people that are like, oh, we've been doing this for 30 years. I know exactly how our industry works. What you're proposing is not the way it works. Right. And they're afraid of change and, and they use their comfort as an excuse for why they shouldn't change. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen that that okay. a lot right and it, it is it's basically a, a decision making problem like they're they're afraid of making decisions that they they think it's going to be problematic or you know cost them to lose their job or whatnot right so they rather stick with the status quo and be happy with the mediocre than actually take a decision that will forward you know move the company forward totally yeah i think i, I have a talk that i do i you know i've been very fortunate to be able to speak at different events all over the world now which is kind of cool um i wanted to step back into that more but um, one, it's called vision into action, a guide to fulfillment. Um, mm-hmm. and so what I talk about in there, my first talking point, when I get on that stage is I say, forget everything you've know, everything you've been taught and every process in which you think you need to run your life under, like just for, for this moment, for this next hour talk, just forget it all, right? Like just check it out. And the reason why I say that is not because they probably had to have a lot of valuable information. 
and, and great stuff to share. And it's not even that because I'm going to say great mind blowing things for them to learn their world. It's a reset to say, maybe if you think of it that way, the words that come out of my mouth or the next speakers or anyone else around is going to actually sit because you don't have a preconceived idea of what things need to look like, right? That is innovation. That is how you need to be able to look. That's how you have to be able to function in life. You cannot be rigid. This world is pivoting so fast that you have to be able to understand that things are different. Your people, why they buy is different. What they're looking for is different. And that could change on a rapid basis. So have a framework. Mm-hmm. So it's not about just like being flimsy, no, no stability. Sure. That's not what we're saying, but we're just be open to change, right? Be open yeah, to and I think- adapt. Yeah, I think Elon Musk says something very similar about that because he he encourages people to take risks in the organization. He said if they're not challenged to take risks and you don't reward the people that do take risks, but if all you do is punish them, then everybody will become like, oh, I don't want to take any risks because I'm going to get punished. But if you reward the people that took the risk and they get extremely rewarded for the success from it, then he said it will encourage innovation in the company. And that's why if you look at you know what Tesla is able to do in such short time, like I'm just dumbfounded yeah. in their ability to innovate. Like I, I think for one example is when every automaker make, made excuse why they couldn't meet their production schedule because they didn't have the chips, Tesla somehow found a supplier and they reprogrammed the chips to be able to use that chip to stay with their production schedule. Yeah, like that is problem. a big risky, yeah. big risky proposition, but they did it. So I I was very fortunate to meet a guy named um, Astor, Astro, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, And Astro is the CEO of Google X, um, which is the moonshot company for Google. And they're about innovation. And so he was speaking at an event um, on Necker Island, uh, Richard Branson's island that I was invited to called Disrupting for Good. It was really awesome um, back in November. Um, And he was talking, we had a chance to chat and he was sharing with the group, there was about 30 of us there, um, about their planning on how they run their company. And they celebrate the losses majorly because they're all about innovation. So if you fail at something, they celebrate that. They, you know, they go out, they have their drinks or they celebrate at the office. And then they say, okay, get back at it. What's the next thing you're going to do? Right. They, mm-hmm. they legitimately are so excited for a failure because they realize that they're about innovating or trying to make something better and they don't mm-hmm. punish them at all. And so mm-hmm. it's super important to be able to think of that way. And I think these people in the tech space or this innovation are thinking about that. But how do you boil that down to your own personal life? How do you boil it down to your relationships you have with your kids or your employees or your partners? How do you boil this idea that it's like, I don't have to be right. There's failures. You have to be able to know that you have a deep relationship with them. You have to know that it's like they're on your side and that you're not going to fail on purpose. But when you make mistakes, it's like you're allowed to like forgive that, work through that, open to have the conversation. And you don't have these little things like boiling up and building up and, and blowing up everywhere because that's what yeah. happens. People stop thinking, they stop performing, they stop loving somebody, they stop doing things because they have these things that they're not able to talk about. And mostly it's because yeah. of you know failures or because of mistakes that are made. Yeah, most certainly. I'm I'm paraphrasing this, but I think that Edison once uh, was, you know, he said, I did not fail a thousand times. I just found a thousand ways that it won't work. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. He, he tried he tried all the different ways to make a bulb and, you know, it took him a thousand tries. But essentially, you know, not treating your failure as a failure, but as an you know, opportunity to learn and then obviously innovating and improving from it. Yeah, um, definitely something to keep in mind. So obviously you have a whole lot of things on your plate. So you got to have some hacks on how to be staying, how to stay productive. So is there any productivity hacks that you follow uh, that makes you to get things done every day? 
Yeah. So first off, first productivity hat is have times you do nothing, right? Like really, I think what I you burn yourself out. I know I was working at 1.16 hour days every day of the week, just grinding for so long. And I think a lot of the culture kind of you know motivates that is the hacker life and the grind and the sacrifice to get to there. I don't think it's the right choice. I don't think it's the right path. I think it's important to literally, regardless of your situation, regardless of how big your business is or how much is going on, to unplug as much as you can. Go spend that time with the family. Go away for the weekend with your spouse. Like, don't give your family or people around you the excuse that I have to grind because I'm build, doing this for us in our future. Sometimes futures does not come. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's not I don't want to speak negativity into people's life, but sometimes it doesn't come for my mom, her whole life working to get out of debt because she wasn't in debt her whole life at 60. She finally got out of debt. And by 61, she passed away. She had one year of that feeling of peace. Well, guess what? That's an idea of financial side of it. But it came to the same thing with spending time with your family. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. I, that's the one thing anyone I think any big business leader or person that didn't do that regrets is that they didn't spend more time with the people that they love. So that's first off in productivity, because I tell you, when I come back from the times I take off, you know, we're in the midst of chaos and stress and I go away with my my fiance and we're out. We go for camping overnight or I'm with family. I feel so much more fresh when I'm back at work. And then when I'm actually at work, productivity for some of the tangibles um, is I have I do checklists. So I don't do like a massive running checklist. I have, a, I have a, a cool thing called the Remarkable, just like a digital notepad, um, which it feels like paper. It's fantastic. Um, they, when I um, get up or I'm working, I put notes on there of what I need to accomplish today. And I just try to work to accomplish those things. Um, I, I have, again, like I mentioned, I have ADHD. So for me, I take medication now. I've rejected it for so many times because I'm like, I don't want to take medication, but I'm like, reality is I'm like, I need medication, right? I have a, dif I, it, it's an actual disorder. So I need to work on that. And so that's been really helpful. So some of you guys that have been, you know, knowing that you're ADD or knowing you have these focus issues, go use, do this stuff, whether it's natural or take medication. Don't be, don't mm -hmm. feel like that's not okay, right? I openly talk about it now because I think it's important for people to know, uh, but it helps me get clarity in my work. Um, and so for me, I just know, I write less. I have a lot. I have my. I have an executive assistant as well, which is you know very. I feel very fortunate. Her name's Jennifer. She's literally incredible. Um, everyone in my world loves her because she helps me get organized too. So she's always producing lists for me, tasks, tracking what I do. So that's a productivity thing too. I think that's almost should be anyone that's serious about entrepreneurship and building something that should be one of their first hires is actually an executive assistant. And it's different than a virtual assistant or administrative assistant. An executive assistant is like your assistant. They know you. So they know your personal mm -hmm. life, they know your business life, they know everything around you in your world so that they know when they can pull things off your plate, keep things on track, you know, shield you from other people if you need that to happen and they become, they're your, they're your person. And so mm -hmm. that's another hack too. Get someone that's your person that's willing to, you know, dive in and work with you and make sure that some of these things don't fall through the crack. Like even for you for this event, right? Like you deal, you were dealing with Jennifer more than you dealt with me because she organized and she sends me a list right before I get on this call, everything I need to know and bam, I'm ready, to, I'm organized. So yeah, a couple mm -hmm. things there. I mean, I think one of the big thing you mentioned is the is the being vulnerable about telling about your weakness yeah. that actually helps other people to, to help you uh, succeed totally. as well, right? Like you said, hey, ADHD, I have those issues, I have attention, I can't pay attention to so many things, I got so many things going on in my world, right? But then they need to tailor to your specific personality type 
to be able to help you uh, be more successful. I think that's the hack itself. Totally. It's um, about being vulnerable enough and, and that helps build deeper relationship with people. And I'll give you an example, which, you know, if you're not open about it, you know, you can lose massive opportunities. So um, I met my fiance online um, and we were chatting online for, for a couple of weeks, like just amazing back and forth, like big questions up till late, earlier hours of the morning, just chatting. And we got to know each other really well. But we hadn't met each other in person. And so when I met her in person, we we went out, we went for a walk and we went to a cafe. We went to a, a tapa bar. So a little happy place. We're sitting there on the outside patio, all these people walking by, there's noises and sound. And I'm I'm paying attention to her. Like I literally am hearing her and listening to her. And I'm fully present. But my mind or my eyes or some of my actions aren't showing that because I'm looking at the things come by and I, my mind just goes to it. But I'm not actually distracted by it and not listening anymore. I'm actually fully present. And so at the end of the day, she's, you know, the neck, we're chatting. And I'm like, oh, I'm just looking forward to just go out, maybe just go for a walk or meet your dog. And she was just like, she was like, yeah, but I'm, she's like, I'm surprised <laughs> that you wanted to go out again. Like, I honestly felt that you were just disinterested in me now that even though we've had all this great cuts before because of the way you just showed up in that date. Mm -hmm. And so people can say, well, yeah, I could just try to really focus and really be mm -hmm. like, pretend that I could just be there. But it's like, I didn't even notice it. I was just mm -hmm. like, I thought I was like, totally gave all the signs I was into it. But I was like, but I was like, we had already chatted. I'm like, yeah, I just have ADHD. So you probably just picked up on like, there's just a lot around me. So I'm like, I was just mm -hmm. distracted by my eyes, but not by my, my paying attention to our conversations. And like, she totally got it, right? She's like, oh, good. that kind of relief. But it was like accepting and recognizing that it's like, I. I'm actually not distracted and I'm actually fully present to you. It just doesn't look that way because of how I am. And so I think that's really important because don't change people, right? Like she didn't ask me to just not, not do that. She, cause she knows that's who I am. Like that's, a, that would be a big issue, right? It's about, it's about identifying it. And maybe if we want to have like a really serious conversation or something important, we want to go out to a restaurant public area with all the distractions. We'll sit down on a couch face to face and there are no distractions for me. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And in business, it's the same thing. You know, I walk and talk. So my team knows, let's go for a walk. Right? Me and my mm -hmm. CFO, we're walking all the time around our office just chatting because <laughs> I need to be active. Mm -hmm. Like even you watching me, if you, people are watching, you know, I'm moving this whole time. I have a standing desk. I can't sit still. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I don't understand. My last question would be like, knowing what you know today, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh man, I think the big one would be build stability first. Have your vision, you know, young, young Kristen, I know you're a visionary. I know you have these big dreams, these big goals. Understand them, identify them, put them up on that mantle though. And then ask yourself, what's the fastest thing to stability for myself? And for me in that situation, maybe it would be financial stability. So what's the fastest? For you to make, you know, when I'm younger, maybe four grand a month, consistently, stability. There's no, we have to think about that, and then build that first, and then go off and continue to build from stability. I think that's the, the powerful thing for me. And stability is different for each person. So for me, that might have been financial stability. For the next person, it might be relationship stability, right? Or however it may be, location stability. Um, and so yeah, mm -hmm. build stability first, and then continue to go because you're going to build your vision way faster that way. That's what I'd say to myself. Awesome. Well, Kristen, I certainly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with my audience. Appreciate oh, well, it. thank you so much. It's been an honor. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.